Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for all that you have done. And Lord, we want to say thank you that we can trust you with the things that need to be done. And Lord, we can take our most difficult problems to you. And Lord, they don't even need a thought because you already know what's best. Lord, we're thankful that you care about us, you love us, you protect us, you keep us. Lord, we're thankful for all the things that we are aware of as we drive down the roads, as we travel through uh, the city and and, uh, in the air and all the things that uh, we do in the course of our normal living. And we're thankful that we can see your hand keeping us safe from other people and, and crazy events going on. And Lord, most of all, We're thankful for the things that we cannot see. And we're thankful that we know that you are protecting and keeping us in every place that we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the fronts. All right. Go ye kids. Go ye. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and go back again to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. And uh, last Sunday night, we spent some time in verse 1, and I would like us to get at least through verse 4. This, again, is one of those passages that we just need to examine this time of year uh, to be reminded that it's not just a collection of stories, but these were real and true events. It says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard..." which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So John was writing, and, and we call this the general, one of the general epistles, as it was not directed to a specific church or, or assembly of believers, but he Uh, He is going through here and just explaining, and again, we talked about the intensity at which he starts out and and doesn't hardly even take a breath, but verse 1 is talking, of course, about the Lord Jesus Christ, that word of life. And then he talks about this life. He says, for the life was manifested. Now, What that word manifested simply means is to be made plain or explained even to this day. Uh, A ship, a cargo ship coming into port, uh, uh, any kind of uh, truck that carries uh, uh, cargo on it, even uh, airplanes and stuff will have a document called a manifest. Uh, That manifest is a list. Uh, of the cargo, and that's extremely important uh, when you're trying to determine drug trafficking and money laundering and all the 
uh, uh, things that go on, they want to be able to check uh, that manifest and know that what is in there is true. And it's the same basic word. It said that life was manifested. It was listed. It was drawn out for us. It was explained very carefully. And the way that life was manifested started in Bethlehem's manger. He was born of the Virgin Mary. His birth was different, and we've talked about this in the past, but the disciples... John had just finished how this life was manifested. He said, we've heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon. Our hands have handled. We, we have thoroughly examined the life of this person as it was made plain to us. And Jesus explained to them what true life is all about. That's why he will say later in his book, that eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. And we have a tendency to get so wrapped up in, in what we do and what we're trying to do for God, we forget that eternal life is simply knowing Jesus. It is allowing His life to live in us. It says, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness. Of course, if you were here for Sunday school or through the Bible time, how greater witness did Jesus have when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb for four days, and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. I mean, that is how this life was made plain. To show that when the leper came, and and leprosy was, in in that day and time, was a death sentence. It, It may take five years, it may take five months, it could take a long time, but you were going to be a leper until the day of your death. Uh, We look at King Uzziah, if we understand our Bible correctly, 16 years he lived outside the city of Jerusalem as the king in a leper colony until he finally succumbed to the disease and his son took over in his place. He was still the king, but he was cut off from the house of the Lord. He was cut off from the worship of God. And yet, when Jesus met the lepers, what happened? One leper, he reached out and touched him, and he became clean. That's how that life was manifested. When he touched the buyer upon which the dead boy, the widow's son of Nain, he had to come to life. Because see, being dead is unclean. You can't make God unclean. That's what the word virtue means. The woman that was unclean touched him, and he said, I perceive virtue has gone out of me. Jesus' life changes everything it touches. And this is a spot where we just need to stop and look at ourselves. How has my contact with Jesus changed my life and my understanding? How has it moved in my life? And and this is... The Bible says we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life 
which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. How many of you, well, don't raise your hands, but if you've ever done any research in this vitamin thing at all, they talk about the human body should live forever. How many of you have heard one of those crazy advertisements? Uh, that that your, your body is meant to go on for hundreds of years, and yet those very same people, when the Bible said that people lived 900 years, say, oh, that could never have happened. But if you'll buy my vitamins... Uh, Give me a break. I, I, I believe the Bible. Amen. Uh, they're still trying to unlock the secrets and, 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 uh, of aging and why we get old and why we uh, die. But there's only one place you can find eternal life. It's not in a river in Florida. How many remember DeSoto? Wasn't he the one that was searching for the fountain of life? And uh, he didn't find it. You know Why? Because it's not a place on earth. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That is eternal life. Is to simply know Jesus. And you say, Pastor, I know this. So do I. That's why John wrote it. And that's why we need to go over it again. And to spend some time... Just looking through here, because there's a connection here to something else that every one of us could use some more of. Let me ask you, uh, we'll just jump ahead for a second. How many of you could use a little more joy in your life? Would you just slip up a hand and say, I could use a little more joy in my life. I'd like, I'll give test. I don't know anybody that couldn't. Now, he says these things are written that your joy may be what? Full. If it's full, can you get any more? No, if you're full of joy, you can't handle any more. Uh, one of my favorite little phrases is, oh, that was so good, I'd have to, there'd have to be two of me to enjoy it anymore. Amen? Uh, I mean, I, I've gotten everything that I can get out of that. And, uh, and I'll tell you what. This is what the Bible was written for. He says, This life was manifested. We have seen it. We bear witness. We show the eternal life. That eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Now, here's where it starts changing direction just a little bit. That ye also may have fellowship with us. Now, that word fellowship is a wonderful word. We talk about it a lot. We have tried to have uh, family fun nights, and, and we call that a church fellowship because we get together and, and we do what Baptists like to do. We eat and we have a little fun and we have a time of the teaching of God's Word every time we get together. Uh, people will stick around after a service and they'll talk and we, we call that fellowship. Uh, when pastors get together, uh, we, uh, uh, I, I serve on a, on a board of directors for a mission board and it's, and what that is is for the 
Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. This is a group of preachers that say, we're going to work together, we're going to meet together, we're going to be together uh, for the cause of missions. And, And those are important things. And it says that our fellowship, that we could have this fellowship together. Now, when I was... Uh, early in the ministry, I belonged to a fellowship of pastors, uh, and it was very different. You see, we agreed to fellowship with each other as long as we didn't bring up certain topics. Because there was no fellowship when you brought up certain topics. In fact, in New York State, there was actually two groups of pastors and, and depending on who was hosting the meeting and who the preachers were, one group would show up for that for the that meeting, and another group would show up for the other. And there was always some overlap, and and uh, I had to be to a few of those meetings. I was very uncomfortable because the guy was reading out of a Bible that didn't read like my Bible did. They were talking about things. In fact, I tried to illustrate at one point to one of the pastors there. And I, I, I just said it this way. I said, I said, did you enjoy Brother So-and-So's sermon? And they said, oh, that was a great message. I said, I want you, he said, you're not going to get this, but I'll tell you anyway. If I had preached Brother Welling's message, that was his name. He's with the Lord now. I said, if I had preached his message point for point, word for word, we'd have had a fist fight after this fellowship meeting. Because even though we would have said exactly the same words, we would have meant a very, very different message. It was a great message. It was Peter followed Jesus afar off, and that's what got him into trouble. And I said, now, see, what Brother Welling meant when he talked about following Jesus afar off was he meant that we just need to be in agreement and be together. But see, if I had preached that sermon, I would have been talking about following Jesus afar off by having rock concerts in your church service. And the guy looked at me and said, No, you don't believe that. Oh, yes, I do. That's not following Jesus. You see, that's not fellowship. Just because you're together in the same room doesn't mean you're in fellowship. And here is what John is saying. He's saying, listen, I want to declare, I want you to understand some things because I want you to have fellowship with us. I want us to be together. I want us to be in agreement. I want us to be able to walk together and serve God together. And as John is writing this letter, you have to remember the context of it. He is speaking to Christians in general, not to a specific church. And see, this is where a lot of people go far afield on the relationship of believers. If I meet any group of true believers anywhere in the world, guess what? If we can communicate with each other, we can have fellowship. Because we serve the same Christ. Amen? But, 
That's not the same thing as what happens in a church. See, in a church, we're not only just striving for fellowship, we're striving to work together as members of the same body. Now, how is that going to happen? Well, read Ephesians chapter 4. Every joint is supposed to supply that which makes it work. Every person is supposed to supply some of, the, uh, some of what it takes to get together. This is not, we're not talking about compromise here. Compromise is where you and I disagree and we try to back up on, negotiate our disagreements to a point that we can agree on something. Now, that's what is supposed to happen in Congress. Do you know how you negotiate with uh, the Democrats? It's very simple. You just say, yes. And if you don't say yes, well, then you're not bipartisan. Uh, you study health care and some of these things that have gotten passed uh, by our Congress in, in, in the little bit. And now they'll, uh, they talk about, well, we had a vote straight down party lines. You know what that meant? That meant there was no agreement whatsoever. Um, you see, fellowship is not compromise. Fellowship, let's look here. He says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If I am fellowshipping with Jesus Christ... And you are fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. Shouldn't we be in agreement? How many go, yes, we should be in agreement? How many say, well, that doesn't mean anything. We can still disagree. No. You see, if my fellowship is with the Savior... And your fellowship is with the Savior. Then as believers in Christ, we ought to be walking in the same direction. Amen? Could we say amen to that? That's what he's talking about. And so, when we have a problem here, when we have... One person who claims to fellowship with Jesus Christ and another person who claims to fellowship with Jesus Christ. But we're not meshing together. We've, we've got some difficulties here. Something's wrong. Especially in church. Something's not right. And we need to get that fixed. And how do we get that fixed? Someone says... No one lays down the hatchet, talking about arguments, without first making sure they can find it whenever they need it again, right? Uh, no, that's not the way it works in the, in the church. You see, we've got to be willing to examine some things. What am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be living that eternal life that I get from Jesus Christ. Amen? 
You are supposed to be living that eternal life that you get from Jesus Christ. You don't get it from the church. That's why this letter is to all Christians. You get that from Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if we have fellowship together, that our joy may be full. And so, what we've got to examine here is if our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, then we ought to have true fellowship one with another. And that is what leads to the fullness of joy. Not because... I have made something happen. Uh, I I am a a man that likes projects. Uh, We we set out something and we're going to do it. Andrew, remember uh, when we first started tearing into this building? And many of you remember when we first started tearing into these walls up here, how terrible it looked week after week. It's... As we progressed ever so slowly on on putting the building back together again, I said, we're going to be finished by Christmas. I'm just not telling you which one. Six years later, we got it done. Amen. And uh, I'll tell you, it was, a, it was an incredible relief just walking in here. And somebody said, did Pastor put, it is finished to tell the church the construction is done? And I'm sitting there going, no, that's not what it's about. It's about what Jesus did. Amen. But I'll tell you what, that was one of the last things that we did before we, as we finished uh, the work in here. And it would be very easy for someone to see that. But, you know, it's, it's very simple to sit down and say, here is my project list that this is what I'm trying to get done. And uh, that's, that's not where we get joy. Where we get joy is by simply, as Paul put it in Galatians, we just finished the book of Galatians, if we'll walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we will have fellowship with John, He says, my fellowship is with the Father. He said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So here is where you're going to get joy. How could John Bunyan have joy spending over 12 years locked up in prison because he wouldn't take a license to preach the gospel? How could he have joy? And yet he wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was locked up in that prison. And if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, that's, that's just a book that you ought to read. It is an excellent, it's what we call an allegory. He just sat down and wrote a story. And he called the, the Christian in the story, he called him Pilgrim because he was traveling 
And he dealt with all of the different areas of your life where you're tempted and where you're tried and and how you can have victory over all of those things. And uh, he wrote it in prison. How did he do that? He had a little daughter that was blind. And she would walk up to the bars of the prison window and she would talk with her father through the bars. That was the fellowship he had with his children because he couldn't get out of jail. Before it was all done, he had to return to the prison every night, but when he needed to go out and preach, the jailer just unlocked the door and let him go preach. You see, the Lord took care of some things because he didn't get despondent and he didn't quit. The joy that he had wasn't in what he was accomplishing. The joy that he had was in fellowshipping with Jesus. And, and that's, that's what we need. That's, that's where we're going to get that joy. Because I'll tell you what, you get out your to-do list and start trying to do things. I remember when we were trying to build the apartment back up in here where, where my family lives right now. And... Uh, uh, people would come by and say, Pastor, uh, how you doing? And they would talk, and I'm sitting here going, I need to get to work. I, I need to be working. I can't sit here and talk. And, and uh, your mom and dad used to bring me over a bowl of soup uh, three or four times a week. I mean, it's a whole pot, and they would just sit there and, and make sure I ate the whole thing. And then I'd work all night long. Uh, because the only way I could get anything done was work when everybody else was asleep, and then nobody would come by and talk while I was trying to get some work done. And, and uh, you know, that's that wasn't especially joyful, riding my bicycle back to the church, back to our apartment at 5 o'clock in the morning uh, to avoid the traffic. That, that wasn't especially a joyful time right then. But we were getting some things done. But I'll tell you where the joy really comes from. Is it not getting things done? It's in getting close to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where joy is. It doesn't matter whether you're in prison. It doesn't matter whether you're getting things done. It doesn't matter. Now, God did not save you to sit around and do nothing, my friend. He did not save you so that you can just be one of those sponges that just sucks it all in. How many of you ladies know what happens to a sponge that you leave on the kitchen counter too long? It sucks everything up and then it starts molding on the inside and it starts stinking. And I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. God meant us to give. He meant us to live. He has things for us to accomplish. But as human beings, we do everything backwards. We think our relationship with God is dependent on what we do when really we just need to be reminded something. It is finished. Jesus did everything for me to have a relationship with Him. I've often said this about homeschooling. And and we'll say it again. 
Would you let your child grow up in your home and sit down and watch TV 15 hours a day and not learn how to read and write sitting in your home? Would you, would you allow your child to do that? If they didn't have to go to school, would you not at least make them learn basic skills? I mean, you would, you would do that as a parent because you would know. Uh, and if you couldn't do it, you'd hire somebody to do it for you. And yet, we, we send our kids to public schools and there are students that spend 12 years in public school and can't even read their own name on their diplomas when they graduate. Oh, I mean, they know it's there because it says so. And, and that is a tragedy. But listen... You get to know the Savior. He's got things for you to do. He's got people for you to minister to. He's got stuff He wants done. Because the Christian life is all about service. But it's got to be the right direction. As you draw closer to Christ, He will use you. As you try to get things done on your own, you'll just be frustrated and fail. And so John writes these few little verses here. And let's just read them very quickly here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We talk about joy and peace in the Christmas season. And then you have to go to the shopping mall. There's no joy and no peace there. Oh, some of the most vicious people in the world are there to steal that parking spot just as you get close enough to see it. Uh, I mean, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, you want joy? You just got to understand that that eternal life, the only place it is, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fellowship is based on agreement. Fellowship is based on common goals and common duties. True biblical fellowship is what we have when we work together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you, when we have our missions conference, just can't wait to find out what the Lord did through Open Door Bible Baptist Church another year. I mean, that's one of my... Uh, I, I cheat because I keep the books. So I, I go through and I look through several times a year and, 
and just thrill at what the Lord is doing right here in our church. You know why we have joy? Because everybody's doing a little bit. I remember meeting a preacher one time. He says, yeah, he says our mission budget's about $250,000 a year. Well, I found out later that over $200,000 was coming from one guy. And the rest of it was coming from his church. And it was a lot bigger church than ours is. And I'm sitting there going, and when that guy hit hard financial times, he packed his bags and left town. I'll tell you what, that's not what this is talking about. But when I see the little bits that everybody's doing, making up a tremendous lot of bit in the service for the Lord, guess what? That's joy, my friend. That's joy. Seeing what God can do. You want full joy. You just walk right with the Savior. And He'll knock off some of those rough edges. And He'll take away some of that disagreement. And He will make it work. Because He wants our joy. To be full. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would help us as a church to investigate these things that are spoken of by John. And Lord, that we would surrender our fellowship that it may truly be with you. That our fellowship may truly be with others. That our joy might be full. Before we finish that prayer, if you just need to slip out of your seat and spend a few moments, we'll take a minute or two before we go into our actual prayer time.